hey, there's a show you might want to know about. Now in its tenth season, Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom is a podcast about tragedy, triumph, unequal justice, and actual innocence. Based on the files of the lawyers who represent them, together with other criminal justice activists and experts, Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom features interviews with men and women who have spent years in prison for crimes they did not commit, some of them having even been sentenced to death. These are their stories. Look for Wrongful Conviction wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, it's Seen on Radio, a podcast that asks, what's it really like out there? And leaves the studio to find out. I'm John Bewin. That whole food thing, it's probably come to your town, it has certainly come to mine. Local food, organic food, vegan food, farmers markets, CSAs, backyard chickens in the city. In this episode, a couple of medium-sized and I think charming pieces that venture into this evolving and expanding acreage. These food trends are a very good thing on the whole, if you ask me. Yeah, some people get a little carried away with foodieism. But the whole movement has got lots of us, myself included, paying more attention to where our food comes from and making some different choices. The eating has certainly gotten better in this country in my lifetime, at least for those who can afford the better and fresher food. That said, there is a certain romanticism that can surround the new breed of enviro-locavorian farmers. That romanticism may live mostly in the minds of other people, customers and fans, if you will, not so much the farmers themselves, who are probably just too busy working their asses off for not much money to get very dewy-eyed about what they're doing. But if you imagine that a young, first-generation organic farmer will be earnest, maybe self-serious, even self-righteous, you need to meet George O'Neill. George has called himself a punk farmer, though apparently he'd be a hip-hop farmer if he could pull it off. He runs a little farm, uh, it's called Little Farm, near here, just outside Durham, North Carolina. George's farming philosophy, never whack. Emily Hilliard was a student of mine some years ago, she spent time with George and produced this portrait. You know, my projected self-image of myself, my existential me, is not a farmer. He's like sort of a gangster rapper, but not a white one because nobody likes white rappers. He's sort of a womanizer only. Yeah, I don't really cheat on my girlfriend or anything, so I don't really womanize and I don't really rap. But that's the lifestyle that I have up top. Wild and free, partying all night. Wait till I give my money right. I had a dream I could buy my way to heaven. My name is George O'Neill, and I am 28 years old. Like 6'8, really fit, like um, incredibly handsome, really charming, like a. I don't know, sort of like a Denzel Washington type guy, but white. Well, so then there's the reality of like what I look like, and that's a little shorter and pudgier, and um, I have probably too much hair on my neck and not enough on my head. Well, enough on my face, but the neck is lush. 
But I do about four acres of organic vegetables, cut flowers, herbs, chicken eggs. Got a greenhouse, do some bedding plants, not a whole, whole lot, but more like potted herbs. I got into it sort of in a, a funny way. I was more working with affordable housing and then deciding that those, you know, housing co-ops that I was living at really needed bigger gardens and they started expanding. And, and then I decided that a big garden wasn't enough. I had to have a huge garden. But I started leasing about an acre and it's gotten bigger and bigger every year. And now I actually live out this way and have made it more of a lifestyle choice and a business. But at first it was a hopefully passing hobby. And I went from, you know, basically being a dirt ball to being a, you know, more in debt dirt ball to do this. So I, I don't recommend it unless you have a way to get money because the infrastructure costs a lot. I'm really getting jaded on my quest for a sugar mama because I have a legion of nice older ladies who say inappropriate things to me. They're just not rich enough. So I guess isolation is one part of this. That, not isolation, but, you know, working long hours on kind of crummy days is kind of like sort of a lesson in a, not futility, futility is the wrong word, but hardship maybe. Like I'm a religious fanatic and I'm doing this to myself to prove a point or something. I mean, it's kind of like all of a sudden going from like the party animal to having three kids and trying to do it right, you know? I'm not comparing this to parenthood, but if you were to take like something that takes up a lot of time and you, you sort of change your life, but you make that voluntary choice to do it, I think it's kind of similar because I'm really happy with what I'm doing now. It's like I miss the other stuff, but it's sort of a vague missing of, man, I want to go to the bar. This is our market stand and currently it's looking a little slim. It's late in the day. Got some peppers and eggplant left. Basket of winter squash, some iced coffee, a few dozen eggs and one bouquet of flowers. It's mad stylish. We have seven pieces of flair on our table. They're usually something Pegasus related. I'm not gonna lie, there's a sad little obsession there. My little pony obsession. Eight bucks. Right. Let me throw them in there. Yeah. It's true, they never are never wet. wet. That's true. Scientifically proven. So, can you spread the word that, like, the good people now are farmers? <laughs> no, they're not. <laughs> they, I think that um, the media tried to do that for a minute, but then they oh, realized really? that farmers are mostly perverts and wackos and that it wasn't going to hold for long. It's like, oh, it's so hip and cool. No, it's social degenerates that can't fit in anywhere else. It is my husband's dearest hope that our son will um, will, um, Nice. I dream that we'll come to the Durham Farmer's Market. Hopefully it's his hope that he's going to leave the child well endowed. (laughs) And I don't mean mean, with money, with money. You know what I'm talking about. My greatest hope is that my kid becomes a farmer. Why not a fucking astronaut or a teacher? You know, it's like, why farmer? Because it's the flavor of the month. 
I mean, 70% of the world's population are farmers, and most of them are women. But when you think of farmer, you're thinking of a white dude in overalls, which is kind of sad. I mean, that's the extreme romanticism, because hopefully his other wish for his son is that he's gonna have a fat ass trust fund. Because it's not like they, they I mean, they live in Durham, you know? What, where's he gonna farm? The family land and fucking, Blanche, North Carolina? No, no no fucking kid wants to live up there. You have to... I, I think it's going to have to be redefined. I think once it becomes hip and everyone has a garden again, like literally everyone, because you have to, the romanticism is going to drop and you're going to see that it's a lot of work. It, it is appreciated on some levels, but not financially. And most people doing it are going to get out of it then and put their support behind the people who are doing it successfully, it's great that all these people start out, see how hard it is, and then become supporters of Farms for Life, you know? You're like, man, that shit sucks, but I'm gonna put in my money and pay my three bucks, you know, for the ratty-ass bunch of radishes because I know how hard that was. Sorry, I cussed. So, is there any, like, back-to-the-land sort of thing going on? No, not much back to the land motivation. I would say more, I mean, whatever, I get to eat good, that's awesome. I'm not a super foodie, and my goal when I started out was not to grow food for yuppie food enthusiasts. And I don't even think I was like super serious about the farm thing until I tried to explain to other people why it was so much better than the shit you find at Food Line, why food has different food value, and food does kind of need to be what keeps you healthy because God damn, healthcare doesn't exactly work, you know? So, one part healthcare, one part self-sufficiency, one part, it would just be fun to be able to do this for a while until my back gives out. So, you don't have any like romantic ties to the land? I don't know, that's a tough one to answer because how do you ever say, yes, it's like this spiritual thing without sounding like a total D-bag? You know, like, yes, I love what I do. I'll give you an example. Two days ago I was out here and I was planting cover crop seed by hand and do you know when spiders silk to fly away, they put out a long strand of silk to catch the wind? There was like a cloud of them moving through as the sun's setting and they're like blowing around all beside me, shimmering. But how do you say like, oh man, that was so gratifying without sounding like a fucking hula hooping cheese dick asshole. Or maybe I'm just becoming more of an opinionated asshole. Which is what the world needs is a bunch of self-righteous organic farmers. George O'Neill picking kale at Low Farm. One, two, ready, go. Emily Hilliard, who produced the piece, is now, listen to this job, she's the state folklorist of West Virginia. Emily was a grad student at UNC Chapel Hill when she took both of my audio courses at Duke and made that piece, among others. Another UNC Masters in Folklore student I got to work with a few years ago was Joseph DeCosimo. He found this story about a little kerfuffle over free-range chickens in the city. Growing numbers of urbanites are getting chickens and building coops in their little backyard lots. Some cities allow it, some don't. This story plays out in Old West Durham, formerly a textile milling neighborhood 
that was probably home to lots of chickens a century ago. These days, it seems, not everybody in Old West Durham wants a chicken for a neighbor. At least not a chicken that's cage-free and off the leash. Producer Joseph DeCosimo enlisted some neighborhood children as a kind of chorus, helping to tell the tale. My name is Siri. My name is Zoe. My name is Frey. The chickens lived over there on um, our street, Virgie Street, and they lived two houses down. Uh, um, our neighbor's house named Weston, and um, they lived in his backyard, but they ra ran around the neighborhood a lot, and it was really fun because you could chase the chickens or the chick chickens would chase you, and you it would be really awesome because you'd just see the chickens walking around, and it would be like, hey, there goes a chicken. My name's Weston Monroe, and I'm a farmer. I'm an outlaw in the city of Durham. I got the chickens from a woman out in Snow Camp, North Carolina, who had been running a small chicken operation for a couple years now, and I was told that this woman was the only woman in central North Carolina who will sell organic chicken feed in, in, in small quantities. And so I was interested in her and sent her an email and she ended up agreeing to let me work for her for a day in exchange for some chickens, chicken feed. And so I went out there one Saturday after five or six hours of work, we rounded up all the, the rogue chickens. So these are the chickens that wouldn't stay inside her uh, electric fence netting. And you know, out of the two or three hundred chickens she had, there were seven or eight that would habitually escape and kind of do their own thing. I think it was something like Providence that brought us together. It wasn't a, a, a random matching of the seven girls and Dove, one rooster. I think we were meant to be together, and I introduced the girls to Old West Durham. They felt right at home. The chickens were in our house, in our yard, in our back, no, in our front yard, and um, they did chickens. <laughs> that was funny. Probably the funniest place was um, on our front porch, checking out the wooden dog. One day, um, uh, I going to school. That time I'm waiting for my mom, and she hear like baby sound, like what is that sound? She said, and my mom said, and I say baby crying. What happens to baby? And we go out in the porch, and the hen is like it is a hen. You know, you've you've probably heard the term free range chickens, and I think that that means many different things depending on who says that, but when I say that my chickens were free range. The girls did what they want around here, and you know I'd always say chickens its own chicken. Um, ladies are their own ladies, uh, and consequently, I didn't try to um, really control them more than I felt was absolutely necessary to keep them around. They uh, they knew where their home was, uh, so they didn't go far, but a couple houses in any direction wasn't too far for him in the road there are many chickens crossing the road here Virgie Street and most most of the neighbors were okay with this 
Um, not everyone was, though. Alright, so... Try to find this string of emails that started it all. Just type it in chickens. This email is from Sarah Palmer. She says, I do believe roosters are illegal, though. If I were next door and the rooster was crowing a lot of the time, I'd be pissed. Guess the noise ordinance can help with this. Well, the posting says, My neighbor just now got back from walking her dog at the corner of Virgin Green and saw a flock of chickens on the loose. Thanks, Catherine. The rooster crowing has woken me very early in the morning, several days in a row this past week. In addition, two nights ago it was crowing actually in the middle of the night, around 2 a.m. for some reason. Have a happy and healthy new year. Best wishes, Bernie. So February 1st, there's a lady in a white car who says she is with the city riding around. She stopped my boyfriend who's doing yard work on Virgie Street to ask him if he knew the, who the owner of the black chickens were. He said no. She proceeded to tell him it's illegal to have them. They didn't want no more chickens, so they gave them. Then they, all, then they were all gone. But it seemed like somebody called Animal Controllers, the government or something, and they told them about the chickens that were running away and running all over the neighborhood. So they told um, our neighbors that they couldn't have the chickens wandering around anymore. And um, But they just left and went somewhere else and they don't want to walk around anymore. My name's Griff Gatewood. When the ladies went away from Weston's house, they came here and they're doing all right. They like the neighbor's yard better than mine because it has lots of crabgrass. One of the reasons I got the chickens was so that they'd turn my food scraps into eggs. And when I brought them to the house and started feeding them my food scraps, that's what they did. It wasn't because I wanted them to do that, that they did that. And it wasn't because they wanted to do that, that they did that as much as it was because they were chickens and that's what chickens do. Kids helping to tell Weston Monroe's story were Zoe, Subi, and Frey Nolan Talmadge. The producer of that piece, Joseph DeCosimo, is now working on his PhD in American Studies at UNC. He's also a very fine and often performing old-time musician. That's him on banjo, and he'll be singing in a second. Scene on Radio is produced by me, John Bewin. I'm the audio program director at CDS. The communications team is Liz Phillips, Jenna Strucco, and web manager Whitney Baker. Old cow died in the forks of the branch, forks of the branch. The old cow died in the forks of the branch. Oh, them buzzards, how they dance. Where was I? Bonnie Campbell designed the Scene on Radio logo. Occasional editing help from Alexa Dilworth. My bosses are Lynn McKnight and Wesley Hogan. Scene on Radio comes from CDS the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke University.
buzzer.